Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here we go. Podcast time. Hello and welcome to In The Pocket, the bass guitar podcast where we get the low down on the low end. My name's Johnny, a totally average bass player, and each week I'm very lucky to be joined by a different co-host to talk all about that bass. So this week I am joined by an amazing guest, bass player for Ash Makers, YouTube content creator and curly-haired connoisseur <laughs> it is ivan carranza my friend how are you doing good thank you for that nice introduction i appreciate it happy to be here <laughs> well i i couldn't you know i used to be a luscious lock uh you know lover as well and and, and had the long long curly hair so I, I appreciate a good curl and yours is taking us to the next level. <laughs> you know, if the music career doesn't work, I'm just going to apply for shampoo advertisements. <laughs> There's a career in L'Oreal for you. Yeah, yeah. I need that like L'Oreal money. It back and forth. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I can I imagine like your headbanging game is like so strong. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you must have yeah. A, like a really strong neck because of it. Um, I know when I had long hair, when I cut it all off and I, I, when I went to headbang at my next gig, I was, I overcompensated. Yeah. So I like headbang really hard for what yeah. I was used to. For like actually, when you have long hair. hair, you have to actually move your head a lot less to get that ah. wave effect. So if you have short yeah. hair, you have to really move your head. I just barely need to move up and down. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's doing it. It's got a mind of its own. It's doing it yeah. for you. Anyway, I'm sure people didn't come on this podcast to talk about to hear us talk about hair. Although we could talk about it all all day if we wanted to. Um, so each week, uh, this is a base podcast, everyone. So each week we like to uh, talk to our co-host, uh, introduce them to the audience with three simple questions. And that first simple question starts with three words because it is: What three words would you use to describe your base playing? My bass playing, I would say simple, um, supportive, and a bit nasty. Oh, nasty. Now, when someone says nasty in like music terms, I see that as a good thing. It's like, a, mm, yeah, that's that yeah. nasty riff or like a nasty tone. I'm assuming that's what you mean, not just yeah. that. I mean, my goal is when, if I play one note, I want to make the people go like, like the skank, you know, stank face. Yeah. Oh, that that makes a lot of sense, to be fair. Like when you say simplicity as well, you know, one note can, can do that. It can make people go, oh, yeah, that really works. Yeah. Uh, and whether you do that through playing or through tone itself, you know, that one note can be completely transformed. So yeah. I think that's a great combination of words. Thank I you. thought you were going to go for the alliteration with the S and you were going to say like 
sexy on the end. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have agreed because although you say it's simple, I think you're a fantastic player. Um, I was just. I mean, I don't know if it's this. Um, this is imposter syndrome or whatever, but I like genuinely consider myself a okay-ish, average, not flashy at all bass player, but. I do not see it as, as a as a crutch or as a problem. That is for me my motivation to improve every day. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I said in my intro that I, I think I'm a totally average bass player. You know, I'm not fooling anyone that I'm some amazing bass player. Um, but then I don't think there's a crime in that necessarily. Yeah. As long as you kind of know your place and do what you do well. Like I said, simple. There's nothing wrong with a simple bass line. The, probably the most memorable and the most impactful bass lines are the simple ones. Yeah. And the ones that just work. You know, you don't need to be doing tapping solos and then some insane slap piece uh, to be a good bass player. I don't yeah, know. Indeed. Anyway. Um, but yeah, you... I mean, you you said you know average, and you know, oh, playing, I'm I'm okay, but you do have a degree in music performance. <laughs> yeah, I do, but I mean, my official title uh, title is, and this is not to brag, is Master of Music. You know, oh, it, it, it is kind of cool to see that title, you know, <laughs> on your on your results. But I'm in no shape or form a master of music. You know, I learn things every day. And it's just, yeah. to me, it's a fun part. It's discovering more and more things or more and more ways to improve on the instrument. Yeah. It's almost like you don't want to be the no, the person that knows it all because then you've got nothing left to learn. The part of yeah. the fun is, and that's why I love doing this podcast as well, because I find I learn so much from people, like, and just talking to more people about what you're passionate about. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, so the next question Um now, I know that you've got an amazing collection of guitars. And I'm often very jealous of the ones that you're showcasing. Um, what would you say is your number one bass right now? I think you're going to guess that already. But for those of you who are not familiar with my channel or what I do, it uh, would be probably my my new Dingwall Super PJ uh, four string. I got that last year. Mm. and that was to me my gift to myself after finishing my master's degree in music and i waited for it two years to arrive it was a long wow. time but i you know when i placed the order i had to make a, a deposit of about like 800 euro and then i made a plan how to save up the full amount in two years <laughs> to be able to pay it at the end <laughs> And then I just kept saving, you know, every every euro extra I had, just put it on the side, and that way I gathered the money because they are expensive. No, that's, I mean, there's no way around it. Yeah, and but, like it, it's an insane base. For those that haven't seen it, go and check out uh, Ivan's Instagram page or YouTube channel because you can see it have featuring heavily on there this amazing fan fret bass that you know you'd think has a really contemporary modern sound but it can also do the classic p stuff really well as well yeah totally uh, sounds awesome so yeah i, um, I think I, that's I, I thought that was gonna be the one that's the i mean ding was nowadays pretty much known for you know the genty metal sounds and they can do that extremely well but actually, I've been playing their basses for about 10 years already. I got, I Dingwall was my, actually my very first nice bass. Uh, I got it right after high school. I got an ABZ five-string bass. And I took that from Peru to Germany when I came to study here music. And I had to sell it eventually because I got tendonitis on my pinky. And the, the extra reach of that scale length was too much. 
but they just sound good in a lot of kinds of different kinds of music, not just rock and metal. Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, you've got like the uh, the nolly get good side of it, where like they are they're incredible for that articulation and that that mm-hmm. genty uh, sounds, you know, paired up with a dark glass, exactly got that sound. Um, but yeah, I, I think you really demonstrate on your channel and, and Instagram how how diverse that bass can really sound and uh yeah there'll be a lot of naysayers out there that probably be like well you know i'm not not gonna get that modern active bass because it is not suitable for that but i think you really showcase that well actually the, the super piece passive by the way oh it uh, is it is passive yeah and that's actually something i really like because mm. i don't like dealing with batteries it's on stage <laughs> there's just more chance yeah. of things going wrong and yeah it does sound like a more modern take on a P bass. There's, I mean, no question. It's got a bit more low end punch, low, more, more low mids, and a lot more articulation as well in the notes. But it is still sounds like a P bass. If you close the tone control, you can get a really good Motown sound out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I say about learning things every day on here. I, I just assumed it was active for some reason because yeah. it's a dingle, but yeah. I, I too prefer a passive bass overall, especially when it comes to a P bass as well. Um, yeah, nice one, awesome, thank you. So, the last of our quick fire questions is why? Why did you pick up the bass? Um, I actually wanted to play drums when I was a kid because my cousin played guitar, electric guitar, and of course I want, also wanted to to play and jam with him. And I didn't even know what a bass was. <laughs> and I said, okay, I want to play drums because it's cool. You know, it's loud. You can b- smash things, you know, but it's just too loud and too bulky for now for a small apartment where I used to live and also too expensive. And my parents were like, no, no chance. And then one day my cousin played an Iron Maiden tribute show and he was in a really crappy dive bar and the bass player had a extremely beat up no name brand base the painted was melted off because somebody left it in the sun uh really complete piece of garbage but that night on the position where i was in that club the base sounded amazing like seriously like you know tom came down right straight from the heavens and i was like i have to play that thing i have to play that thing and then i think a week later i got my first base and my cousin showed me a couple of things and then I played an amplifier at first because I didn't have an amp. And my yeah. mom saw that I was spending time with it. And she was like, okay, let's get you an amp and some lessons. And then that, you know, that took me to another country 10 years later. Yeah, Amazing. Well, I, you know, the people at home, well, I think we'll want to hear a bit more about that story. You know, where, where was it from there that you went to? Did you then start studying music and education? Um, from there... Um, I asked the teacher of my cousin who played guitar if he knew any cool bass teachers and he recommended me one um, who I still have contact with. He's, a, as a matter of fact, a friend of mine now. And I started taking lessons with him because he's a really good rock player. And he got me into... I remember, I think one of the first songs we learned was uh, Living on a Prayer, for example, uh, by Bon Jovi. Yeah. And he also showed me Mr. Big. And then he started showing me also this... The other side, not only rock players, but Jacko and Victor Wood and, and Marcus. And I just, you know, I locked up myself in the bedroom every day, like five hours or something. 
I was like 14, 15 at the time. Yeah. I just practiced and practiced and practiced because I had a lot of catching up to do <laughs> if I wanted to be able to play with my cousin, for example, right? He, he was playing Megadeth songs and, you know, like really flashy solos <laughs> and I had to really get my chops together. Yeah. And I just practiced a lot. And then on my last year, on my last two years in high school, my music teacher was a jazz upright bass teacher. And he saw that I was good, so to speak. And he was like, hey, you, you should focus on this and let take some lessons with me to, 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 you know, just improve on some things. Because I knew I could play. I had, you know, decent chops skill-wise, yeah. but I had, had barely any knowledge theory. Um, so we started getting into jazz and walking bass lines and intervals and ear training and all those things. And he was then uh, like, you know, to back up a bit, I was in a German high school. You know, I, I learned German as a third language and you know, Spanish, my, my native language. And I learned English and German. Mm -hmm. And he was from Germany. And he was like, you know, if you can't already speak German, try to go to Europe and pursue a music career there, study there. And he convinced me. So when I finished high school, after taking two years of lessons with him, I applied to a music college here. And I actually completely messed up the audition. <laughs> like, oh, really, no. I, I... Can I curse? Go for it. I can completely fucked it up. Like, I was so nervous, you know, coming to a different country, a new language, alone. And I was, like, super nervous. I really messed it up. But the the jury and there and the audition were kind enough to tell me, you know, you're actually okay. Practice on this and these things and try again next year. And I came back home feeling completely defeated, completely unmotivated mm -hmm. because I had paid a flight to Europe or well, my parents paid a flight to Europe for me to completely fail. You know, I was like really depressed. But my parents were cool enough that they said, you know, if they told you were good and you should work on these things, Try again next year. And then I went to another teacher who was more focused on electric bass, but also jazz playing, who's also my friend now nowadays. And we made a plan. Okay, if you need to work on these things, what can we do to, to make that happen? So we made a structure and then I applied then to three universities and got accepted to two. And here I am. Awesome. That's, you know... That's that's the motto, isn't it? If you don't first succeed, try again. And it's it's amazing that you had that support structure yeah. at home to to push you to go back. Because yeah, a lot of people would be like, "Ah, oh, well, you, you tried, but oh well, now to get back to the real world, you know." Yeah. Whereas you know that's amazing that they they egged you on to to keep going for it because they said that obviously you could do it. Yeah. Awesome. And yeah, and now here we are, um, creating content online and. Uh, marketing yourself really successfully climbing towards that 10k <laughs> yeah slowly I, but surely struggle yeah it's, <laughs> I, f I feel like i've gone like went, went up fast and then stopped then went up a bit then oh, plateauing yeah. a bit you know so the, the, it's a real it's a real like hard climb to, to mm -hmm. the, the first 10k i think um but yeah who will get there first who knows go and if you're not subscribed already hit that button now and in the description if you're watching this on YouTube or, or wherever you're listening to this, I'll leave all the links in the descriptions. You can go and check out Ivan's uh, channel and stuff as well. Go and subscribe to him. Help him out to 10K. Oh, so with that, 
Well done. Let's move on, shall we, to our first question. If you want to submit a question to this podcast, um, head over to my Instagram page at Johnny Dibble. Make sure you're following uh, so you can see when I'm putting out the poll uh, for submitting questions. So thank you to everybody that submitted it for this week. Um, I normally like to do it on like a Sunday. We record this normally on a Monday. Uh, so yeah, look look out on a Sunday when that poll goes up. Um, so the first question uh, comes from a mere bassist on Instagram, uh, who's asked, uh, is there any gear news you wish had been announced that hasn't been announced? So I really like this question. I answered something kind of similar with Patrick Hunter when he came on about like, what gear do we want to see this year? Um, and some of that has happened. Some of that has not happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's been a lot of announcements recently and like the start of the year with Nam normally taking place then that is normally when the industry tends to launch all of their new products and it makes sense because it's the start of the year yeah what's you know going to happen here you know a lot of people getting into music in the new year so it makes sense for the industry that being said I don't feel like there's been as much as there normally would be if there was like a Nam because there isn't so much pressure because not everybody's doing it at the same time um so I, I I'll start with with mine then. Go ahead. Gear that hasn't been announced. I wish had. I am still waiting to hear something from uh, Sterling by Music Man. Mm-hmm. I really want another Stingray, and I'm holding out to see when they announce something new, and if they're going to do a whole new range this year. You know, and so I've seen some pop up online. I'm like, oh. That looks really nice, but I shouldn't really because I'm going to wait until they announce something. And, ah, it's so annoying because I don't know if or when they're even going to say anything or if there's yeah. even going to be anything new this year. Mm-hmm. I say a Stingray as well. I really want them to do a Cutlass. Um, so like the uh, they're like their take on a P base or yeah. like a PJ configuration. I'd love to see an Indonesian made version of those because I don't think they've ever done it before um and yeah they they've done short scales last year so maybe a bit more of that because i think that went down really well but yeah i think anything from sterling either it be a new stingray or um uh, or a cutlass i think that that's the main thing that i'm wishing had been announced but hasn't yet yeah uh, what, i, what I remember thoughts? trying it's probably like five years ago one of those the cutlass the the pj and a shop mm. And I really liked the feel, the response, but I wasn't a big fan of the tone. And recently, a friend of mine told me that he got the P version of that. I think, I don't remember the name. I think it's Caprice. Yes, that's, yes, yes, yes. yes. Caprice. And, and Cutlass, yeah. when he told me that, I was like, I tra- tried them and the pickups were kind of kind of weak. But then he showed me a, a, a recording, a tone sample. And I was really really surprised at how good it sounded he was like yeah i also tried the pj i wasn't also a fan but the p only that one is killer and the mix that he sent me it was brutal awesome yeah like so i have a similar thing where i tried the sandberg electra 
mm-hmm. um, VS4. So their take on a P base. And it's kind of similar to the yep. um, Caprice in that way, that it's it's a single P pickup that's active, but it's got um, the, the like the bigger magnet pole pieces, mm-hmm. like a Delano pickup, you know, or like a Music Man humbucker um but obviously like a p-bass style pickup and i thought that was a really comfy bass felt amazing so nice to play but it didn't have any character to the sound it it felt like it was stuck between being a p-bass and wanting to be like a a music man like it i feel like it needs to dedicate to one and when it's both it doesn't really work yeah so i've personally never played any of the um american uh cutlasses or the caprice so i'd be really interested to see if it was a similar kind of thing it sounds like it is with the cutlass but maybe not with the caprice you know is the capri i'm assuming the caprice is also active uh i think it is passive to be honest I that's think probably so. what it is yeah probably, that's probably yeah. what it is then because, because I, I remember feel... when, when i was boosting the preamp on that bass then it sounded really cool but on completely flat passive it was like somewhat weak mm. but the, the other one that straight up passive P by Music Man, that one was really, you know. That's the thing with active basses. I feel like that sometimes there'll be like a passive control, and that's only really useful if like the batteries died. I feel like because like why would you want it to be passive? It's it the pickup is voiced and the to have that preamp with it and to really work with that preamp. So when you take that away, it just sounds weak. Um, so I think you really have to if you've got an active bass, you need that preamp to be to be spot on. But um, to be honest, yeah. sometimes, I mean, on active bases that only have, let's say, you know, volume, blend, bass and treble, for example, I find that I miss having a tone control because cutting the treble on that sounds different than cutting down mm. on a tone control. Yeah, it really does. And I didn't realize that until later in the game, but you're totally right. And it's not that common, which is why I was really impressed with the new, um, and I didn't realize until I got it in my hands, the new Squire Contemporary bases, mm-hmm. the PHP base, um, brand new for 2022, it's got a tone control on it as well as a stacked bass and treble. I always yes. just assumed it was volume, blend, bass, treble. But yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't know it was a stacked knob and a, and a master tone. So a really good feature that I think people will appreciate because like you say, it's not quite the same, especially yeah. if you've got like a, if the if it's not a boost and cut, if it's just a boost. Yeah. You know, then you've got that ability to 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 take it off a little bit, take that edge off, exactly. rolling back the tone. Awesome, yeah. So th- I think that's what I want to see. What is it that that you want to be announced that hasn't been announced? I want to be announced the import or Chinese-made uh, versions of the. Super P and Super J bases by Dingwall because they have the combustion or the Nolly models, which are, go for like around 1.9 to 2.2K-ish, something like that. Yeah. Whereas a Canadian made is like 3,000 plus or 4,000. And there is no version of that or the, of the budget versions of the J and P bases made by them. And I really want that. <laughs> <laughs> I really want one of those. Yeah, that would be amazing. I I didn't know that's where they were made the combustion ones. You it's know, a, I know it's a kind of long process. Um, the 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 parts are made in China. They are assembled there, if I am correct. Then they are shipped to Canada, where they go through a very intensive setup procedure, 
they dress the threads, check out the pickups, uh, set up mm-hmm. the, the whole setup, and then they are shipped to the dealers, um, which is why they cost yeah. so much for an import base, but it's just the process and the time invested in it to make sure that the quality control is good. Yeah, and it's like, which would you rather? Would you rather it was that way around or that it was, you know, the parts are made in America and then it's assembled elsewhere where the quality control doesn't have that attention to detail? I think that's what, I want to say that's what G&L do, the tribute line. I think they, they, it's like American, I know with my SB2 tribute, it's like American parts, a lot of it. And then it's um, constructed in Indonesia. Um, so yeah, different ways of of doing it. I th- I think I li- I like the Dingwall way of doing it because then you get you know you're getting the quality and the quality control is going to be going to be great. Um, yeah, I find yeah. the guitar production industry really really interesting of how different ways they work and different brands operate because like that's it's also common for brands like I think Sandberg do a similar thing where with the Electra range, it's um, d- obviously designed by Sandberg. Um, and then it goes off to Indonesia, I think it is to be made, and then comes back where they check it over. So yeah, I think. And but they're still like between four and six hundred pounds, I think, off the top of my head. But yeah, yeah, more or less. I think it also awesome. depends on, on what kind of target section you wanna wanna reach with the product, right? Mm. Because no matter how you say it, but if it, if something costs more, people are gonna assume it as also more professional. And if you have a, a, an instrument that costs 400 to 500 euro or something like that, or pounds, uh, like your SB, for example, uh, I know that the, the tribute basses and guitars are great. I have one tribute guitar there and it's an amazing instrument. I've played all the tribute basses by GNL as well. And they're great. Um, but if I was looking for a super solid to take to the road, I would rather spend a bit more and get an American made, knowing that they spend yeah. the quality time, you know, the, the quality control. Uh, instead of one of those because they do have a little bit of flaws here and there yeah that that's that's natural isn't it with anything that's mass produced the the more you do that the less control over that you have yeah um i'm gonna i'm gonna let it slip on this podcast before it's i've said it to anyone um a prime example of that is squire um because i mentioned that i got that contemporary ph base Mm -hmm. as of today it has gone back i've sent it back because it doesn't work (laughs) what <laughs> yeah brand new out of the box got it it was a bit dinged up and scratched in places mm-hmm. um and i was like mm, okay like kind of like it wasn't anything that noticeable like the odd bit here and there and and then plugged it in nothing <laughs> the battery in the back was absolutely fine swapped it out for a new battery out of the packet didn't work it was so it's faulty in there which is shocking you know yeah. and that's that is that you play with with sometimes with mass produced uh, affordable instruments they are fantastic like the quality like and for what you get nowadays compared to back in the past is insane you know yeah um but the more they produce and the more they do it you are going to get a lemon every now and then it's impossible to not have some slip through the net when you're doing it at that scale so when people are like i got it and it was awful i'd never buy a squire again i you're gonna kind of take a bit of a pinch of salt i think because obviously they're not all going to be like that which, but I always recommend trying those out in the shop first to yeah. see if. But now that you mentioned the shop, that is also one important factor because different dealers also have different quality control points before shipping their instruments. Mm. So sometimes an instrument comes from the manufacturer, manufacturer in perfect condition, 
but you know maybe a base sits there at a shop for i don't know half a year before it gets bought and yeah. who knows if they took care of it they adjusted the neck they put new strings or whatever or if they really check the electronics so yeah the dealer yeah, is I also one point absolutely and i always appreciate it when a shop or a retailer online will be like yep yeah, like let us know how you like it set up and we'll set it up before it comes out to you little attention to detail things like that are great and they you know that's how you know it's gonna work then um whereas this one was like out of the box so i don't blame the retailer at all they've been fantastic with like getting it back to me etc um i was a bit annoyed that i had like the 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 new like what's it called is it's a white color but it's like a pearl pearl white i think it is Mm -hmm. um but that's now out of stock (laughs) so i'm getting a a, a, the orangey sunburst one instead so you know i was like "Ah, okay but at least i've seen it would able to see both uh finishes but yeah that's that's a that is an exclusive on this channel that bit of news (laughs) so listeners of this podcast you know you are the real mvps here you know all the latest stuff um Anyway, thank um, you. Oh no, continue. Uh, I was saying, I want to say, other than the, the basis of, uh, by Dingwall, um, it, it is not a, a product by a specific company, but I would like to see more amp manufacturers coming up with dirtier options. You know, amps mm. that get you some dirt, like a like a tube response or a nice tube emulation, yeah. kind of like the. Uh, it, it can be like analog or digital, I don't mind, but something like the Bergantino Forte HP does, they have a drive circuit in there, which is really good. It functions really well. Or the Mesa um, TT800 has a, also a preamp tube section that distorts kind of nicely. So yeah. I will want to see more of that instead of just the completely clean and transparent amps. Yeah, because I think it's different approaches isn't it because a lot of people would say like well a clean amp that's what you want and then you can add pedals and things like that where you go but you don't always get that same effect that uh, a nice warm amp particularly if there's a tube in there that that provides um but now we know that analog circuitry can provide that nice warmth um in example of like the new origin effects pedals for instance like we know that that is possible of, of replicating these these amps through yeah. that if that was in an amp you know if that preamp was that would be amazing amps, then... if they put in a, that in an amp like for real i buy it the second it comes out <laughs> yeah yeah because you just got you got an svt there don't you, you yeah know? Ideal. <laughs> it's amazing yeah and with none of the worry of tubes you know yeah. because i i've had a i had a orange bass terror which was just a class d amp and the, the tube went and right before my set so i was like oh what do i do but um yeah so now i i always i'm a more of a solid state person now but i am but then i am always after that warmth you know that's yeah. really important to the tone i think yeah um, but like just yeah. like you said if i mean there are really good pedals and the reason one i got is the, the origin base that you mentioned so it is possible to get that kind of sound or that kind of texture in a small package in a you know easy to carry around format. So it's just a matter of finding you know power module and put it in a package and sell, sell it as an amp. Yeah, absolutely. What is your kind of go-to amp out of interest? I have a Mesa WD800 here, but I mean the past two years has it's just been sitting there. <laughs> you know, I haven't played any gigs during the pandemic. I also had a car accident, so I couldn't play. Um, yeah. 
but it sounds great. It's got a really nice mid-rangey character and plenty of bottom end. But I'm kind of gravitating more to to the SVT sound <laughs> because I just classic. You know, I just noticed that is the sound that I hear in my head when I think of bass and most of yeah. the time rock music. It, absolutely I, i'm exactly the same as you ampeg was probably like my first favorite amp or the one that i always looked up to you know i had um an svt 610 uh and i've had a 410 and i've had an ampeg like the solid state um version of the head which i didn't like mm-hmm. um at the end but like uh which was like the same size as the s big svt one but none of the tone and i was like great (laughs) really (laughs) worth it that was um but but anyway uh yeah so more so more companies doing that kind of thing yeah that would be my 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 wish yeah Uh, but then do you like to have that with that kind of distortion or that warm overdrive that you get from would you want that to be uh like triggered with like a foot switch like to turn that kind of a circuit on or do you want that to just be your always like on kind of tone that's a good question um if you could like have a channel that switches would be great so you can have like like cleaner but inside the same amp right so a clean Mm. tone Maybe a bit distorted for like let's say the main verses of a song. Maybe you need some more, you know, grunt out of the sound. You kick it, and then you get, you know, more drive. Yeah, I, I think that's how I would want it because I quite like separating my clean from distorted tone. I don't mean like two tracks, yeah. um, like signal splitting. I just mean like I like to have a, my clean tone is my consistent that is quite trebly and a lot of presence and then have like a distortion up my sleeve to then like balls to the wall in a heavy section, you know, mm-hmm. it. Um, but more and more now I'm kind of uh, getting my presence from, you know, it's a lot to do. I've got a pick in my hand for some reason. A lot, uh, a lot of that is to do with the attack uh, that I, of my playing style, but then also I'm now starting to use distortion in my just standard tone because I yeah. didn't realize how many bass lines that you think, oh, that presence on that is amazing. There's actually distortion in there yeah. you know, giving you that sound. Um, so, for instance, uh, this is a very long answer to this question, but oh, well, I'm enjoying it. Um, my, on my pedal board now, I bought the Dark Glass uh, Microtubes Ultra yeah. um, to be like, right, that's going to be my preamp. And then I've got the distortion on there as well. Now, I like the sound of it with the distortion off but the blend all the way up so mm-hmm. much is give you that little bit of a yeah. boost yeah uh and it's almost like a clean boost but a little bit distorted and it like it's that i now need a distortion pedal to go with it and so i got the alpha omega um to, to bear with it so yeah really like unnecessary distort like channels of distortion but, but that's just how i like it now yeah but to be honest that is how i actually had my pedal board uh that's how I said my pedal from, I had two tours on 2020 that didn't happen because of, well, pandemic, but I had an always on sound that was overdriven, not like massively overdriven, but there was a little bit of breakup in the notes, you know, because that just yeah. gives you warmth and it also glues the bass better with the drums and the guitars and the keyboards and you name it. Definitely. And then I had a second drive pedal to just give me real distortion if I needed it for songs where I really need a full-on drive, you know? 
yeah th- that's how i'm approaching it now as well and it because almost when you put on a distortion sometimes you don't want it to if you've got a really clean tone and then a really distorted sound when you kick that on the mix of the band is going to totally yep. change so you almost want it to be quite a similar uh soundscape you know of, of audio to to have it be like a boost but not too wildly different exactly. and, uh, yeah again that is something that i've kind of learned uh through experimenting really and uh, yeah. getting all different bits of gear yeah amazing well we definitely went off the uh, off the radar on that question but that's what this is all about and uh, i love that um so uh from news that hasn't been announced to news that has been announced let's move on to our next segment So now we are at the news where we talk about, you got it, the news, the latest news in bass guitar that's happened over the last two weeks since the last podcast. And uh, I was double checking before filming this, you know, what, what's what been announced. I realized that actually there's been quite a lot of exciting stuff. Um, starting off with Spectre. Yeah. Now, Spectre have launched uh, their Woodstock custom selection of guitars so it's just 11 one-off designs um that is in there is it the what body shape is it the ns10 or something ns that's it ns that's what i was looking for um all that body shape are all different pickup configurations and designs now this isn't something you can like customize or choose it's all like pre-done ones but i think they're just one-offs aren't they i think it's just one i think it's one-offs yeah but, and so they're going to cost a hell of a lot of money. You know, these are very premium bases. Um, they're made in the Woodstock, if you don't know, is named after their New York uh, branch, I believe. So, yeah, a lot of money, these bases. But, oh, my gosh, do they look so cool. Yeah. Um, I, I saw Ian Martin Allison visited their factory and was, you know, giving a quick demo of all of them. So if you want a whistle-stop tour of them, uh, go and check him out on Instagram and to to have a look. And there is just all sorts in there. We've got single pickup ones. We've got burly finishes. We've got, um, yeah, all sorts from traditional pickup setups to more modern ones with big preamps. Yeah, it, there's, there's, I feel like there's something for everyone in there. I know there's certainly ones in there that I was like, mm, don't really like that one. Oh my gosh, I love that one. Mm, that one's okay. You know, I had the whole spectrum of emotions when looking at these and Spectre are just a brand that ooze quality and tone as well. Like when I was first introduced to Spectre, I was blown away by the the, the sound of like one of their Euro basses. It was like a five string with the two humbuckers. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I would love one one day um, because I just think they're awesome. Um, what have you have you seen these? What was your uh, yeah? I saw those. I actually had a, a Spectro, I think it was I was sixteen. It was a Performer series, mm-hmm. one of the made in Korea, I think. Um, and I really liked the bass, and because I remember seeing, uh, I think it was Sting with his white Spectre. Uh, okay, yeah. And I was like, that's a cool bass. I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but si- since then, I've transitioned away from from the look and the sound of them. But those new ones. 
they are definitely really cool. Like so cool that I was like, damn, I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, who knows if they're still around or if they're all gone now by by collectors? I don't know. Like they're not accessible these bases. Like they're, yeah, they they're gonna cost so much. But yeah, I'll be down if they don't look cool. Uh, I, I particularly like the there's like a almost like a ruby reddish one with a mm-hmm. single pickup. Now it it doesn't scream Spectre at all with like the tone of it, but it just looks awesome. Um, I really like then, the this one is kind of bluish with gray with bl- blue blocks. That blue one, inlays, yeah, yeah, exactly. That one that was like damn, like, yeah, damn. That's one of those ones that you just you're never gonna see anything like that anywhere yeah. else, are yeah. you? It's just really cool, really nice one-off. Um, and they, they do amazing things with the woods, I think, at Spectre, like the combinations. There's like a, a really thick, quilted, burly, like um, natural colored one almost. That You look at the side profile of the body and it, it's like a million different bits of wood. It looks awesome. Um, and it's got like the wood styled pickup covers as well. And that mm-hmm. can either really work or really not work for the base, yeah. I think. But it looks cool on that one. I'm, I'm a fan. So yeah, Spectre, hit us up. You know, if you can't sell two of them, send them to us. We'll sell them for you. Fine. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. So the next bit of news um, is from the very high end of the spectrum to the you know the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Harley Benton um, have announced a U base that they're uh, launching. Now a U base is a a tiny little base that's almost on par with like. Uh, a ukulele think a bass ukulele i was going to say think a ukulele with four strings but they have four strings um so it's like that but they've got almost like do you describe them as like rubbery strings they're almost like yeah they're a bit more like elastic looking than uh than your standard like steel uh bass strings um so that's just a quick description of what a u bass is for for those that don't know for those that do know, I've probably absolutely butchered describing what a U-Base is because I've never actually played one because I've never really had the need or want to. Um, have you got any experience with the U-Base? Yeah, actually, um, you know the brand Ortega? Yeah, Guitars okay. mainly. Yep. And they also have some U-Bases and they sent me two, um, I think it was 2019, to test. And they're actually pretty fun to play because it's a tiny right. scale length, you know, <laughs> but the low end coming out of those things is massive, like really massive. Yeah. Because of the Paizo pickups. And mm. I remember I took one to a gig, one of those that they sent me and it was an acoustic gig. It was the, the day before Christmas Eve and Christmas we played, Eve. yeah, we played, um, the set of the band and also some Christmas songs and whatnot. And all the people in the audience like really, really liked the fact that I was standing there with a tiny bass playing massive low end notes. <laughs> Makes you seem like a really big man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, if you play an acoustic set and you know, there's a guitar player playing an acoustic guitar, a singer, and then you come up with your P bass, it kind of stands out a little bit. At least that thing looks acoustic, you know, even though it's plugged in. It still yeah. looks acoustic and just seeing you play with this tiny thing and making the, the whole room shake, that is a lot of fun. For some reason, like, really small basses make me think of, like, <laughs> this is going to sound really weird, <laughs> make me think of, like, when there's no urinals left, so you've got to go in, the like, the little boys one that's, like, smaller and lower down. <laughs> <laughs> and so it makes you feel like, wow, look how big I am. I'm such a big, <laughs> tall person. 
going to, going at this. That's what like short scales always remind me of, but like even yeah. more so with a U base because they're tiny. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd love to try one. And they, I imagine they, you know, what's what's the string tension like? It's very floppy, like very very floppy. You have to place fairly soft, and depending on the brand, also. Um, I mean, if you play too hard, they completely fret out. Mm. So you have to be like really gentle and really um, take care of your articulation because if you play really hard, um, the attack is not that pleasant due to the piso pickup. So you have to really make, try to like really roll your finger, not, not attack the strings too hard. Yeah, so t- they're totally different instruments, really. They've got bass yeah. in the name, which is how they slipped into this podcast. But they have the same function, but they're like playing wise. You've got to treat them a bit differently. Um, so the Harley Benton is about ninety eight pounds, so just under a hundred. Pretty good price, for, you know. Harley Benton, they're they're great. The the quality for the the money. There's almost yeah. no other brand like it, you know. Um, because of the way that that company operates. So, yeah, no doubt that that would be amazing value for money for anybody that's interested in a U-Base. So moving over to moving up the scale from Harley Benton to Squire. Now, some people wouldn't consider this news, maybe, but I I really enjoy this kind of thing because I'm a sucker for bass aesthetics and things like that. Um, the Squire Classic Vibe and new Affinity range uh, actually have some new colors in some of the models. Um, which is really cool. And I didn't see this announced anywhere or shared anywhere. I was just looking on uh, a retailer in the UK and saw them and was like, what? I've never seen that before. Um, But they are new. Um, So in the classic vibe range, uh, the Mustang has now got an orange finish with the red racing stripe. They did a blue one with a like a white racing stripe mm-hmm. um, recently. Um, I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, people really dig that. Now I've got an orange one, which is just totally out there. I've never I've never seen like a more traditional one like that. So yeah. interesting that they've gone with that color choice. Um, but move over Mustang. I'm more about the Jaguar right now because the, the medium scale Affinity Jaguar, they've released in two new colors. We've got it in another orange, but looks like a deeper more saturated orange with a matching headstock, black pit guard, and then uh shell pink. Shell pink Jaguar uh with like an a mint pit guard and a matching pink headstock. I, I feel sorry for anybody that has bought one of those bases. Like I love what Squire and Fender do with like the special runs and the special edition colours, but it makes me scared to ever buy one now <laughs> in case they then a couple of weeks later launch one of these new colors because I saw that and was like, oh, that that's going to upset a lot of people that have bought that base because that's a new base. <laughs> pretty, it's pretty new. So for them to do that is uh, it's quite cheeky. But um, So wait, yeah. wait to, to get things straight for me, those new bases, the Squire and, and, uh, and the Jower, they were released recently and two weeks later they released more colors. Yeah, it, it's been it's been months since okay. like there were because I think it was the tail end of twenty twenty one that those mm-hmm. the the Mustang the Mustang, uh, Mustang. Oh, no, there's a Mustang the Mustang um came out like probably oh, well over a year well long time ago the Mustang came out so that one not so much but the the new Affinity range mm-hmm. uh, came and that medium scale Jaguar with the single humbucker uh, that came out in um 
yeah, late 2021. So okay. not too far off. It's been a couple of months to be fair, but that's why I'm always a bit wary about buying those sometimes because yeah. like, please don't launch something that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I did love that Jaguar base. Um, but yeah, those that do are going to love it even more now because that shell pink is to die for. I'm a, I'm a big shell pink fan, if you hadn't guessed. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is that is the news from Asquire. And before I did a before starting this podcast, I did a quick check of latest news to make sure we don't miss anything. And I came across something else that was really cool um, from Fender. Uh, they have uh, now. I saw that they'd done guitars, but I didn't. I totally missed that they'd done basses with this uh, because they've done a collaboration with Mattel and Hot Wheels. Like what? <laughs> so weird, so weird. They've done some custom shop Hot Wheels basses. So we've got two new P basses. Um, I'm just going to do a quick Google actually, just to make sure that I'm remembering this correctly. Um, because it's so weird <laughs> but i love it at the same time like this kind of collaboration is really cool and I, it just opens up a whole realm of possibility of what other brands they could do this with um and they, they like that's so weird looking um we've got one p base that has got really strange looking pickups on it um with it's, it's got no pit guard it's black maple neck and it's got like this flame design on it like the hot wheels logo which you know just totally not my thing at all but it's so interesting and a, a different looking bridge design as well um i need to research what pickups they are and then we've got this hot wheels all black p base with gold hardware red a black pit guards with a like a red pinstripe, a blue racing stripe on it, the Hot Wheels logo on it, and two like I assume passive looking humbuckers like a Thunderbird base, a blue logo at the top, a, a steering wheel at the twelfth fret, and it's fretless. <laughs> like what? That is, is pretty this? crazy. It's crazy. I I, I like nobody's asked for this have they like it's really <laughs> weird but I'm, I'm here for it like and you get oh you get this really cool like hot wheels um hard case with it as well like oh i've just realized obviously they're based on they're based oh okay i see it now they're based on like hot wheels cars so there's they've put a picture of it next to the car and a picture of it next to the monster truck have you have you seen these I'm looking at them right now. Uh, I was not familiar, but that black one, that fretless with cold hardware, that one looks pretty badass. It is, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's so weird, but so cool. Like, even the little detail, like the blue logo at the top, I think is really nice. Nice yeah. touch. But like, yeah, it's really strange. But I'm I'm here for it. I hope they do well. Um, oh, my gosh. Sorry. I've I've just seen the price. How much are you going for? Okay, so the Hot Wheels Night Shifter Fretless Precision Base, that's what it's called. How much how much do you think? In in Euros, how much do you reckon? I just, I just found a price. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is not yeah. even funny. <laughs> no, that is ridiculous. They, there must only be one of these, surely, because oh. the price is seventeen thousand three hundred euros. And in pounds, that's like 
£14,800, and then that's $16,500. What? And, okay, the, the other one, which is the Bone Shaker, um, is is a slightly less. It's, it's, a, it's a very cheap $15,000, <laughs> that one. Like, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Insane. Um, I'm just reading up about that pickup on the other one, because... It's got a weird. Can you see the P base pickup on that one? It's yeah, really strange. Um, it is a lace aluma pickup. I don't know what that means. Um, somebody in the comments or, or reach out or let me know if you if you've heard these pickups before because it's not something I've ever seen or heard before. But yeah, really, really weird. I love it. I hate the price. <laughs> Can't see anybody like being like, yes, that was the one for me. Oh, I really sold me on getting that. I've always wanted a Hot Wheels P base. But I hope they do more collaborations like that because it just opens up so many designs. A bit like what like Yamaha do, where a lot of like their Revstar guitars, which I'm obsessed with at the minute, um, uh, like modeled after motorcycles, of course, it being Yamaha. And I love like little inspirations like that, that they take it from somewhere else and, and put it in a guitar. So yeah, I want to see more of this. Maybe not at that price though. <laughs> My God. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, I think, I mean, if I had a cash, which I don't, but if I had the cash, I would probably, I would buy that fretless base, but I wouldn't pay so much money for the, the skull looking one. That no, one, that, that one, it reminds me of, um, do you remember when Squire, I, I think it was a signature model, I can't remember. They did, Squire did a bass that had like a, almost like akin to the Hello Kitty guitar. In fact, I think it was in the same range. It had like a black bird on where the pick, uh, instead of a pick guard. I didn't try and find a picture of it because it was re- it was really affordable. It was like Bronco kind of price. In fact, it might have been a Bronco. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bronco. It, re- it reminded me of that straight away and i was like oh that's not a good thing to remember because i don't think they were very good <laughs> bronco bass bird yes there it is it's oh someone said it's an angry bird space but i don't think it is it's weird <laughs> that's pretty weird indeed <laughs> yeah it just reminded me of that but uh yeah i can't... who knows there might be a someone that's really into bowling that has like a flame shirt that's like <laughs> Oh my god, that is like the perfect base for me. But I'm sure if they're that way inclined, they've already custom made their own. Probably. <laughs> awesome. Right, that was all my news for this week. Quite a busy one, but uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, see what else is coming out. Let's move on to our next segment. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, question two time. This one is from RyanM0161 on Instagram, who says, how do you go about creating baselines for your band or, or projects that you're that you're working on um i thought this was an interesting question um he said what's the what's the process for creating one now for me it kind of depends on what we'll talk about here if it's my band nova mora it'll be totally different for if i'm just creating something by myself at home because the environment is so different um now with with your bands do you tend to create things all together when you're in a in a room together, or is it more like you do it individually and then bring it together? Uh, actually, I write most of the music myself, uh, oh. so guitar riffs and and the parts. But I mean, then our drummer and guitar players, of course, do their take on what I got as a demo. But I usually go about writing bass lines as the last thing in the process. So I usually start with with the guitar, and then I, I grab the guitar and look for a drum beat. And when I have something on the drums, I start messing around with different riffs or something that I had in my head. I always have my phone with me. And if I'm going to a supermarket or to the bus stop or whatever, and I have something in my head that, that can be anything like I sing it immediately on my phone. Yeah. And then I come back and listen to it and then transcribe myself. And I do sometimes, exactly the same thing. Yeah. And sometimes, I mean, I, I get, I transcribe what I sung, but... Of course, I sing terribly, and <laughs> sometimes uh, I make variations from that, but at least that got me started on the process, right? So I take that, put it together with the drums, then I figure out, okay, if this is the verse, or is this a chorus, or is this a bridge, or is this the intro riff? And from there, I create the whole song. And then at the last point, I play the baseline because that's the easiest thing to me. Okay. If I have this already laid out, I can just fill in the gaps. Sometimes though, when I'm doing that process, I notice, okay, what if, for example, I have, I take out the riff that I had in the, in the verse, I leave it completely out and just, it's just bass playing. And then maybe, yeah. maybe the bass can play actually what the guitar is doing or the other way around. And that is my usual process. Yeah, I as as you said, like in your three words, you know, a bass is a supportive instrument. Uh, and, you know, that doesn't mean it can't be front and center, but I, I'm exactly the same. We'll approach it, like I come up with a riff and normally that's led on guitar and then I'll have a, put the bass with it and see if I want it to be something the same or done something different. Though I'm a bass player, it's very, I wouldn't say it's very rare, but it's it's more rare that I'll come up with the baseline first because then it's like a bass centered song and that will be like the intro you know most mm-hmm. of the time um yeah I, i'm pretty much the same as you um <laughs> i'm exactly the same as you in fact when coming up with ideas because i'll be normally it's in the shower i'll be like oh God, i've just come up with this great idea and either i've got to like try and remember it and like sing it to myself the whole time yeah uh, or i've got to like get out the shower dry myself and record it on my phone quickly it's always in the most inconvenient place <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, so I do that all the time and, and then, or, or if I'm jamming on the bass and I'm not, if I'm just around the house, I'm like, oh, 
I can't record it at that second, I'll record it on my phone. So I've got like, fact, how many voice memos have I got on my phone? Because that will be an indicator of like how ridiculous it's getting. Okay. Uh, looks like there's about, looks like there's about 80 on there at the minute. I get a bunch of them. I keep, I keep scrolling. Um, because sometimes the ideas, I mean, it can be something like and that might be a baseline, that might be a riff, that might be just a section, a transition to something, but at least I have it there and I can use it at some point, you know? It's funny how you, when you, like, at the time, you're like, oh, this is such a good idea, and you, you sing it into there, and then you listen back to it and you're like, what? <laughs> what was I thinking? Or what is sometimes, this? Yeah. yeah, that happens <laughs> too. Or, or sometimes I'll, I'll think it's a great idea, then go and transcribe it, and it's just not working. Or like yeah. I, I feel like oh, I can't, I can't get the sound I wanted, or the drums to do what I wanted. You know, so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And but yeah, I'm exactly the same with with creating uh, music in that way when I'm writing myself at home. Um, when I'm in a band situation, coming up with baselines specifically for that, my my band are quite all, all we're so organic <laughs> with the way that we work. You know. Um, so we we very rarely, if ever, will have a pre-done idea or one person writing everything. It's pretty much all the time every, just us playing in the room and just jamming and coming up with things, um, which is good and bad in some cases. Sometimes if you're not feeling particularly creative or you've had a rubbish day, you know, it doesn't really work. Um, you know, everyone's got to be on that same wavelength. Yeah. Um, but then we find in, in that band, it just, that's how it really works for us. And so I will, what's handy about that is that the vocals are there too, um, like being written as we go. And yep. I kind of adapt my baseline around the vocals sometimes as well, because you, as a bass player, I'm looking for gaps in where I can do a fill or where something will sound good. Um, and I, I apply that in a lot of, places when i'm writing anyway so like in um uh, i've done some session work like just record recording at home for somebody that i know and i really based my baseline on their vocals that they'd already recorded in the logic 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 project um because i didn't want to be going like i wanted to spice it up a bit you know um, go up the fretboard a bit or add a little fill in but i don't want that to be all overpowering the the vocals what which is arguably the most important thing, particularly for that track. So I will try and kind of work around that and see where I've actually got the most room in the song to, to put those little bits in. Now, I don't need to put those bits in, of course, but where it just sounds good or where I enjoy to do that. So, yeah, I think it depends on the song sometimes and who is there. You know, is it just... Um, if the vocalist isn't there, for instance, I'll probably be doing a lot more and filling it out because it's missing that like main element. Um, if you've got a vocalist in the band, that is. So yeah, just I don't know if that's really answered that question, but just a bit of a bit of an insight into how I kind of try and approach it. Yeah, but for example, that's what, pretty interesting what you mentioned. Um, like like I said, I track for my band. I track the bass last, and in that case, I try to play as flat and as boring as I can, unless I have a really uh, a riff or an idea that I really want to have featured in there. But mm. I do it like a bare bones version of the track so that the singer has space to sing on top of that yeah, and yeah. is not crashing with the bass. And then I can add things later. 
Exactly, because the, the like you said, the, the vocals is like the primary bit that most people are going to hear. Um, and our role as bass players is to, like I say, keep coming back to it, supportive and to make the song work, you know. And the song is going to work not based on the little riffy bit and fills that we put in. That's just like extra bits that like can can add things, but not, you know, it's not going to not work without that one little bit. So having the vocals, like I say, do a bare bones version, then the vocals can do its thing and work without any constraints. And then you can fill in around that. So yeah, it sounds like we have the same idea, but in a, in a different order of approach based yeah. on, you know, the, the, the scenario. So it's yeah. cool to hear. And in the in the case, for example, if you are uh, in a band, like I said, in a room, or you have to play for other people, I think the best thing that you can do there is have, I would say, um, different tools in your toolkit or different ways to approach certain music scenarios. So you need to know what is a typical, for example, I don't know, typical blues line, how to play some blues, how to play some R&B, how to play some gospel, soul, rock, typical phrases. So, you know, you got the vocabulary so you can adapt. So if someone comes yeah. and say, I want a, a bit a bit of, I don't know, can you play some Paul McCartney or can you play some Jamerson or, or can you play like Dove McKagan or something like that to, to at least get in the vibe of that. So you can, you know, grab your toolkit and put it on the table and deliver yeah, absolutely. And I th- I think that's where like f- f- for my cuz that like your inspirations shine through you, don't they? And what you know in in terms of playing style or effects or how to achieve that, it shines through in your playing because it's just whatever you're enjoying at the time will naturally come out or you'll think, "Oh, this reminds me of this song, so like this thing will kind mm-hmm. of work here." I'd say for me, that is almost kind of a weakness for me because I don't feel like I I'm diverse enough in my, um, this is a really great therapy session for me. <laughs> um, I don't feel like I'm diverse enough in my knowledge of, of other genres. Um, cause I didn't really play them that much when I was younger. Only now when I'm getting older, am I going back and diversifying my playing portfolio, if you like, because yeah, you start to see those influences coming in in places and being able to adapt. So if something, so if somebody in a rock song, you know, sometimes it blends into country, you know, or like the particular line they do, you think, oh, okay, we can start experimenting with this kind of scale or knowing the the typical directions that you can go in um, and applying that music theory based on the genre or particular player. I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great shout of something that you can bring to the table. Yeah, I'm going to give you a very cool example of that. Um, I don't know if you checked today, today's Monday, like you said, I released a cover of What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, and that's James oh, no, Jameson on bass. And it was fun to do it for me because, of, first of all, that's an amazing bass line, and just the timing, articulation, placement of notes, everything is some masterpiece in terms of bass playing. But... That was the first song that I learned when I started studying music. I mean, in college, that my teacher, Marius Goldhammer, said, okay, we're going to check out some soul and R&B. And me coming from Iron Maiden, you know, rock, hard rock, I was like, no, I was pretty open. But that was completely new territory for me. And I remember very clearly that I struggled like struggle hard time just to remember the variations, the rhythmic placements, um, just 
the phrasing, the laid back aspect of the plane. And you know, I banged my head just like weeks learning the, the song. And, you know, many years later now, about 10 years later, almost, I learned or relearned the, the baseline in one and a half days, c- c- counting work days. Uh, and he was like, okay, yeah, it makes so much sense now, <laughs> you know, yeah. but having that, that, uh, you know, stepping out of your zone and just learning all things um, helps tremendously. And another thing, another genre that helped me a lot with my playing, for example, even in, in rock music is to, to play reggae for a long time. Because like you mentioned earlier in the podcast now, you know, one note can have a lot of impact. And in reggae, if your one note is placed incorrectly, the whole groove doesn't sound good. And, you know, if you've been at a reggae festival, the only thing you hear like from miles away is the snare drum and the bass. Yeah, yeah. You hear like a massive bass sound. So the bass carries a lot of the of the tunes. Yeah, and like like the the whole offbeat rhythm of the guitar, you know, is so different to other genres of music that you can't just be like following that all the time, like you would yeah. in say rock. You know, it doesn't. It, the instruments work together in very different ways depending mm-hmm. on the genre. So having that influence in there as well as I think is is yeah, it's really important. I love this answer to this question. Like, so expanded my mind and all of the minds of the listeners. I'm sure. Amazing. Thank you so much, mate. Um, And thank you for the question. Let's move on to our next segment. Now we are here. The next segment, as promised, um, it's called That Tone You Own. And it is probably my favorite section of the podcast because we get to dive in and get real nerdy about some tones here. So ahead of recording this, I always ask our co-host to bring in a tone that they consider to be their own, hence the name of the section. Um, or it could just be something that they're enjoying right now, you know, or, or something they identify with. Um, so Ivan, ahead of this, sent me this baseline. We're going to have a listen to it in just a second. In fact, no, let's have a listen to it right now. It sounds like, say, like 14-year-old me listen to that. I'd be like, that's the sound. That's the sound. And that's not to say that, what, 27-year-old me now is like, that's not the sound. I'm still like, that's the sound. But, like, it is such a quintessential, incredible 
rock bass tone that has that perfect blend of like presence and 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 like drive to it that really punches through that mix and i love that we heard it in a mix scenario there because uh, and solo so we can really hear what it's doing um but yeah oh sounds so good mate um Thank sounds you. like there's a lot of like like that ampeg kind of signature sound in there that, that i kind of identify with um let's start with the bass what what for, actually first off what what was that track was that for your band that is uh yeah the, the song is called trail of ashes by my band Ashmakers. uh that was our second single uh, and that song funny enough started with the bass line actually uh, <laughs> yeah that was the only song that started with the bass line <laughs> because i came up with that riff um uh, and which is the, the verse um and just had so much drive in it not, not like gain drive but the, the, the way the baseline carries the song has a lot of drive in it and our singer was like no you, that has to be the verse man that that is that is the verse and then we moved on from that um and then we had added the guitars and see and so okay how can we fit guitars into this because it's a fairly busy line you're not playing a lot of notes mm. but it's it moves a bit um, so we had to make room for the guitars in there as well, which is important. You know, you got to give every instrument their place. But that was recorded with my with my GNL P bass, the LB100. I was going to say, it sounds like a P bass. Yeah. Um, and my interaction was like, is that the Dingwall? Um, but yeah, that, that GNL, I love those basses. Because it, it's an American one, right? Yeah. I, they're it's a, they're so good and i would i would love to try an american one i i heard a demo of like i don't know who it was i think it was an artist doing demoing their like it's like an emerald blue one with a tortoise shell pit guard and they played it and i was like that's the p bass sound i've been looking for and it was the first reaction i'd had for a long time about it and like i'm a total p bass guy but like it's, even within p basses there are different levels of like yeah. How they sound which is only something a bass player i think would ever <laughs> understand um but yeah those those basses sound awesome and it's you know singing absolutely singing in that track there it sounds really good so yeah when when did you get that bass that was um 20 the end of 2019 i think um that is actually a lone instrument it's on mine. It is by it's a you know based from GNL Germany, but they I have it indefinitely. Uh, I I'm waiting for a custom one for myself actually. Ooh. Right now, yeah. Um, I'm not gonna tell you the specs. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, come on, tell us some more. <laughs> no, yeah. well, I can't. You can can't have it for the next it. podcast if you want to see the specs. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, he said it, here, ladies and gents. He's coming back. Nice. Yeah, um, but I, I got that base and. I had never, I had never tried an, an American made GNL and like you said, when I heard that, you know, it's had a, a tag articulation. It sounds great with the tone fully open. And if you close the tone control, it also sounds amazing. And that is the Fullerton Deluxe series. So it's an affordable American version mm. uh, because they also have the option order models. Those are more expensive, but these go for about 1.5 to 1.7. Like an you're like an American standard kind of fender range, isn't it? Like that more or less, yeah. The, the entry to the American stuff. It's not like an ultra one that's like upwards of like two grand. Yeah, mm -hmm. 
Awesome. Yeah. So from there, then your signal path. Um, what are you going into from the base? Yeah, it's a base with a pick, of course. And for the nerds out there, I use a Dunlop. What is this? Ultra Grip One Point Zero. Mm, because what color is that? That is a nylon. That's, that's what I do it by. Which color is <laughs> the, it? the gray ones? Um, and what no, did you say that was? Not, not a Tortex. It's it's a Ultra oh. Grip or Max Grip. Sorry, oh, Max sorry. Grip. Yeah. I see. Yeah, because I, I'm a... I have I have sweaty hands, and if I use a Tortex, they just slip. So I need I need the, uh, the extra grip. I see. I see. Yeah, <laughs> and from there, uh, so base pick going into my Noble Di flat. Nothing in there EQ wise, and into my Apollo interface, uh, and there I use a Neve preamp. Because oh. you can you can you can put an emulation of a Neve channel strip in there, yeah, and it does sound different than going just straight into the interface. Yeah, so that is the clean signal. From there, that clean signal I sent also to to our producer, and oh. I made three versions of the bass track. One is uh, what I call the Ampeg Crunch, which is an Ampeg SVT VR plugin which I love by Plugin Alliance or also Universal Audio. And it's set up to just get a little bit of dirt in the in there. Nothing crazy. That's why I call it crunch. Yeah. Just a bit of breakup, just a bit of character. Then I made an Ampeg drive track with the same plugin, but really get it like roaring, you know. And uh, the last one I provided was, I think, uh, um, neural dsp parallax track that was not used so what engineer did was he took the the clean low end and separated it compressed the hell out of it mm-hmm. then took the amp crunch and used it for the main body of the track so to speak for the mid section and the low mids and then on top he laid the the drive track so it's three tracks on something, one bus going straight into your face. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. And when, when you said that, I was like, yeah, it's got to be like, that's the classic thing, isn't it? Like split split the baseline up, have, you know, a, a nice DI, solid DI track, compress the shit out of like the, the low end solids. So you've got that nice solid low end clean and then you add the other layers in. Um, it's not something that I've de- delved into too much when producing my own stuff, but uh, yeah, it, it it pays off, doesn't it? Because that sounds so good that baseline. And there's a lot of like rock and like modern metal and post hardcore bands, like I think like Jerry Sturgis produced bands that he does exactly that. Like with, with so many of those, just splits it up so you've got complete control you're not compressing this distorted sound you're compressing what needs to be compressed and then letting the the presence really like glimmer on top yeah um yeah one thing that i forgot is that he run then all those tracks through a samsung psa emulation to give it a bit more more of the nasty character Mm. Uh, because it it does add some more more bite and some more uh, more character to the sound. It, it gets a bit more definition in there as well. Yeah. Um, and also, sorry. No, no, you, you go. 
the the base or the amount of drive also varies through automation depending if you're in the verse or in the chorus so you get more or less you know because it's tiresome for the ears or, or it takes the attention of the listener from the vocals if it's all fully distorted all the time so i told him you pull back a little bit on the verses and kick it back in on the choruses yeah and so many songs will do that just to give like the chorus a bit more oomph sometimes yeah. or to and sometimes they'll they'll bring up the bass or have it have more attack in sections where it needs to stand out a bit more you know it doesn't have to be the same thing throughout as long mm-hmm. as it's not completely sonically changing so much that you know you're getting all different frequencies happening um yes it's that's a a great thing that producers can do that adds impact without the audience necessarily noticing um and that's what's really interesting about bass i think is that sometimes you can do that kind of thing where the audience doesn't even know it's happening but like you're having such an impact um one thing that springs to mind when i was in the recording studio once a similar thing but not quite the same um we the chorus just wasn't impacting as much and we're like ah what can we do here and so we um re-recorded the chorus four bpm faster yeah than the rest of the song and like apparently that's quite a common thing that they'll do to to give it a bit more energy in there it's just just bring it up a little bit that wouldn't be noticeable to the average joe unless you're unless you're there with a metronome you know um you'd think it would be the same or but yeah, just four B- BPM was enough to give it a bit more oomph and a bit more uh, sass to it, a bit more energy, um, without making it sound weird and out of time. So yeah, it sounds like a similar technique or what you're trying to get out of it to like yeah. give a bit extra in places. Or as, as an alternative to that, which definitely fully works, but if you don't want to you know, put in a, a tempo marker or have the drummer to have to adjust to that if your drummer is good enough and the whole band also and you can control how ahead or how behind the click you play that is also a great way to give the, the those sections more energy you know play ahead of the beat on the choruses and pull back once you get back to the verse again yeah <laughs> my whole life they've been been training and saying gotta do it to a click gotta do it to a click then you get into the studio and they say should we not do it to the click <laughs> in front of the click? You'd be like, ah. <laughs> I, I think I would struggle. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I love little techniques like that. And I, the mind of a producer, I think is so interesting because you, you get to hear about all of those kind of uh, uh, techniques and things like that. Awesome. Well, insane sounding tone and just fits the, fits it perfectly that song and i love all the the background info there is on that so Thanks. thank you so much for all the insight let's move on to our last segment now we are here it is the big bass debate each week i take just one question and just turn it into a bit of a bigger discussion um I say bigger discussion it's just what the title of this episode will be called we might have a one word answer for it it's still the big bass debate don't care um this one comes from uh m gaza 832 on instagram who has asked what are you hoping to see become standard across bases over the next few years so for this i'm thinking about different uh features that a base might have that is something that's a really good idea that i think would be great to see across 
uh, other bases as well. Or it could be a certain trend, you know, that's happening right now that we want to see more of. Um, when you saw this question, what was your first thoughts about this one? I think all bases should have an easy trust road adjustment. Yes, 100%. Um, and so the, the base that I'm going to talk about in a minute has this um, because and it's just so much better. And I, you know, I, I was going to bring up a different point about it. I totally forgot about this element and you're, you're totally right. Um, because yeah, on a classic Fender or a classic bass you, or guitar, you've got the truss rod adjustment at the top of the headstock. Now that was how it was originally designed. Doesn't mean it's necessarily the best design because you've got to like get your Allen key in there and it can't make a full turn because the strings are in the way and you've got to loosen them a bit to do it. It's a faff. Um, so easy trust rod access. I think that's a, that's a great answer. Is there a particular base in mind that has a great access but, that's inspired? I mean, that? you mentioned access around the neck and even that, that is actually okay. Uh, but there are bases nowadays that are being produced where you still have to remove the entire neck to adjustment. Some fenders really? still have that. And I think, please make a little bit less of a margin on your product and put at least the adjustment in the neck and everyone's going to be happy instead of having me to remove the neck, which defeats the entire purpose of the setup. Yeah. <laughs> and then adjust it, put it back together, figure out, okay, it was too much. Disassemble it again. Oh my god! No, 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 no! Yeah, that is that is that screams like vintage bass era thing where it's just like that needs to be eradicated. Like, yeah, sounds like the Fender have gone right. Oh, this is how they did it in the fifties. So let's with with this reissue, we're going right back, and it's just going to be rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like let's get rid of those kind of features that are a hindrance, uh, not just for the sake of it. Um, yeah, I for me, uh, I really like having a truss rod adjustment at the um, the body of the base, so at the mm. base of the neck. Um, I find it just so much easier. You've yeah. got a bit more room in between the strings. You can make your adjustment. It's just easier. Um, you know, a lot of stingrays have the wheel. The wheel is awesome. That, yeah, it's so handy and so easy to use. Um, I, that is what I wish that all basis would have is that little wheel yeah that one's amazing Um, because you can even just grab a screwdriver and just turn it you don't need a special allen key or wrench key for that anything that's solid enough to be able to withstand the pressure you're good to go yeah exactly it's just so much easier that kind of thing that just because people i always say that people should try and learn to do their own setups on a base because then they can always make what is a good base a great base you know that's often just what the barrier is between how good an instrument is um and a good setup can go such a long way you know yeah um, you can get a five thousand pound base that plays awful you know and it, it still needs a setup at the end of the day um so by making it as easy as possible to do, kind of remove that learning curve or that barrier to people wanting to go in and do it themselves. Because can you imagine like someone that's new to bass being like, I don't want to do my setup because I don't want to take the neck off to like do that. You know, that's such yeah. a such a barrier to progressing forwards. Um, yeah, just absolutely. Easy. Um, and yes, yeah, you still, some people say, well, if you make it too easy, then you won't understand the fundamentals and 
and that's how I had to do it back in my day. <laughs> but I think there's a, you know, you still know why you're doing it, but it's just easier. Yeah. So I, I mean, that is the reason I think, why, for example, I mean, the setup, why Harley Benton bases are so good for the price. They are really well set up. I have one. I have a 130 euro PJ base by them. And when I got it, I was expecting the crappiest base on the face of the earth. And I grabbed it and I was like, this is not going back. <laughs> this yeah. is staying here because it's a yeah. well set up base. Exactly. And, I, you know, that brand have done amazing things for schools, I think, because yeah. when I was in school learning music, terrible, terrible guitars everywhere. I think the Yamaha Pacifica was like one of the only decent electric guitars they had there. Yeah. And there was like this cheap court bass, which was okay. Um, but the best of a bad bunch was now um, I used to work in a secondary school and they had a load of Harley Bentons. And I was like, these kids, man, they don't know how good they got it. Like this yeah. is so good. Yeah. That's Cause they're so cheap. Um, but yes, yeah, back to the question anyway, um, about uh, what was the question? Uh, well, what I think, what I hope to become standard. Now, this next one is a bit of a premium feature, but I, I, I'd still love to see it because it's totally changed my thoughts on other bases I've got now. Rolled fretboard edges. Um, <laughs> it's like once you once you go there, you can't go back. <laughs> my um, the new Sire, as well as having that easy access, um, easy access truss rod adjustment at the at the base of the neck. It's also got, um, God, I've completely lost my train of thought. Rolled off edges. Um, that's it. <laughs> it's also got rolled fretboard edges, which it, it's so comfy, man. It's so nice to play. Like, And it makes a big neck because it's, it's just like a P-based neck on there. But it makes it feel less cumbersome and more mm -hmm. comfy. And it just really works and just makes it an absolute joy. And... Yeah, like I said, it's a bit of a premium feature, but that's not an expensive base. That's a, like a four hundred less than four hundred pound base, so mm -hmm. it's not it's not expensive. It's not high end, but some great features in there. And so I, I would love to see like um, like Squire doing something like that because they've got they're gonna have to start competing a bit more Squire now. I think um, they've had such a market share for so long, but now with Sire. Harley Benton nipping at their toes in terms of yeah. uh, price and quality features. I think they've really got to up their game with features like that to match that, what is becoming the new industry standard, you know, of quality. So uh, yeah, the, when I got that contemporary series, um, the, the new Squire that didn't work. Um, yeah. It doesn't have rolled fretboard edges, but the profile of the neck and it's roasted maple, it's very similar feeling to the sire. But when I AD'd oh. them, put it down, picked it back up, I was like, oh yeah, this feels way worse than the sire <laughs> because it didn't have that. And it, that's not necessarily something I would have picked up on before playing the rolled fretboard edges, but now I have, I start noticing it on other bases where I'm like, yeah, but it doesn't have that. <laughs> and I, I, that's the thing. I don't know if it's something, if, you don't have one if you, if you necessarily would notice it you'd be like i don't know how this could be better like it feels fine i, I don't think any of my bases have that to be honest i mean the, the edges are smooth but they're not rolled yeah it's it's this weird it's like i didn't know i want it until i had it <laughs> i'm gonna I'm have like, to check oh, that out then yeah man, i i'd really recommend it um 
you know, there there are loads of features I think that you could include, like you know, zero frets. I think are pretty cool, and how um, some string trees are, I think, are pretty cool. That's quite an important overlooked feature sometimes. String trees. I know we keep banging on about this sire, but it's so good that the string tree on that is amazing because it goes across. Just double check me. I think it's three of the strings. Yeah, it, it works with three and not just two that it would do on a standard, like mm-hmm. traditional style bass. So you kind of get that better tension and that, that break angle is a lot better um, by doing that. So, yeah, that's really cool little features that I'd love to start seeing across uh, other bases as well. I'm sure that there's loads that I've got to think of after this podcast as well. Like, oh, yeah, like, I'd love to see that. Um, I suppose some other things might be like thinking outside the box a bit, like left-handed models. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd love to see that become more standard across base series because like like Squire, for instance, I keep going back to them, but they're a good example. Bring out all these new guitars and all these new series, really exciting, industry-shaking stuff. Not a left-handed base in, in sight, you know, and it must be so frustrating, so frustrating for left-handed players. Um to to not get the the full option and yeah i don't think that can be solved overnight really at the end of the day it comes down to business doesn't it it's all about quantities of scale and the amount that they're going to sell because that's why they don't produce them is because they don't sell them but it is alienating at the same time so I, i understand both ends of the spectrum but but yeah there's there's lots of things that i'd love to see become standard i think your example is a, is a very good one, though, that you said. Because I think one, another one that I really like, but it's also it's kind of hard to implement, um, is to have more, more contouring on the bodies of bases. Because, yeah. you know, it's, sometimes you grow a base and it's just like a slap, like a tilly, you know, it's just yeah. like a straight up chunk of wood. Yeah, doesn't <laughs> and work, when you have a base it? that has like curves and... You know your armrest and the, the up, uh, access on the frets up high. It's also smooth and rounded up. It's so much easier to play. Yeah, and I had that's the exact reason why I sold my Stingray um, because I had a Sterling Ray twenty four CA, and it's meant to be like a more vintage version, like the the more vintage offering that they do in that range um because it's only got the two band preamp and there's no mid control um and it's got this slab body and and it's that's why i sold it because i would be playing at practice for hours and i'd be like oh this is getting a bit uncomfortable now because it's there's no contouring to it it's yeah. not as comfy and I, that bass i naturally like to quite i feel like i should play quite fast on it i love love a stingray but yeah that i felt like I just want a contour and I just want a belly cut or an arm cut that I can really get some more speed up on here because I found it not too limiting. Like it was, it was, it was playable and it was, it was absolutely fine. Let me take that back. It's amazing bass apart from that. And so yeah. I just felt like if I'm going to have a stingray, I want to have one that's got this, this, um, the contours in it to, to make it even more playable for myself. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I think that's you're coming out with some, some great ones here. Cause I totally agree. <laughs> um and and we said earlier about um tone knobs on like active bases i think that yeah. should be a standard you know probably something that 
I wouldn't have thought is too difficult to put in. Just comes down to cost at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, for example, Sandberg and Glockenklang do this on their preamps. The treble control, when you boost, it is a treble boost. When when you cut, mm. it is a passive tone up, which mm. is pretty awesome. So you get both, you know, both worlds there. Uh, yeah. I think more preamps should do that because sometimes, for example, the Douglas preamp, the tone capsule is great. Sounds awesome. But it's just you know treble or well two mid bands and bass, so you you miss out on having that control. If you make it like at least counterclockwise a, a tone control, that would be a really cool option. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's it is a more like complicated. Approach. I see why people don't do it because I imagine it adds this whole other level of design and complication. But yeah, it's like once it's done, I, I don't suppose it's that hard to manufacture, but. You know, so I don't really know what I'm talking about when it comes to that. But yeah, that I think that's a great feature. Um, one that I've just thought of um, in the background, I've got this GNL L2000. At this point, I'm just kind of talking about features I like that I wish were more common rather than what I think would become a standard. Um, these are just bonus fun ones, everyone. Um, that base has got a lot of people when they see the L2000 range from GNL think like, oh, that's complicated electronics and like switches and knobs and it's actually quite simple what it is it's just three knobs which is a um volume oh god i forgot now <laughs> uh and then uh bass and treble and then your three switches is your different pickups uh you've got a series and parallel and then there's passive um with the uh, active electronics and then there's like a, an extra treble boost on like the third option to give you a bit more kick and the series and parallel option is something that i didn't know i wanted until having that base so i was like yeah this makes a huge difference um and i still don't know if i have my head totally around series and parallel <laughs> yet to, to explain it fully in like a well formed sentence but it's just to do with the the phasing in which the 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 two coils in in that humbucker um are are put together you know it's got two humbuckers in there but it's it's whether the the rows of magnets are running at the same time or whether they're out of phase like i said i i, I can't quite get my head around how to explain it yet but um let me know in the comments down below or reach out to me to educate me on on the, the difference there because i feel like i had it down at one point i was like oh yeah that makes sense and then one of those things i've just forgotten but yeah it gives you this a totally different sound i think and um <laughs> and i can't remember which i prefer <laughs> out of the two um, i think it's parallel i think i prefer but yeah having that option i think is, is cool and give you a different tone so yeah oh i feel like i spoke a lot then i'm out of breath my asthma is going to be playing up i need my inhaler in a minute <laughs> for example for, for the people who can who can make you know a, a tone in their head from that reference for example a p bass is actually it has two pickups actually in there it's just two two calls put like on the split magnet that is a, a, a series sound and when you run both sounds of a jazz bass sorry both pickups of a jazz bass you're running a parallel mm. tone so that kind of scoopy you know high-end bass extension sound that is the kind of parallel tone and when you have one pickups in series you got a bit more of a mid bump um more 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 punch as well there you go you just explained it all for me 
And that's why I think I prefer that parallel sound when it comes to um, humbuckers particularly, uh, because it just, it suits it a bit more, having that more like scoopy kind of sound, I think, rather than that like more um, throaty mid-range attack, which, you know, you can dial in in other ways, I'm sure. But I, yeah, I like uh, on that bass in particular, yeah, parallel, I think really works for it. <laughs> Very interesting stuff. Oh, I love doing this podcast. I love so much and it's amazing therapy. Um, so I think that, is there any any other features that you can think of that you think would be good? Or should we leave it at that? Strablox. Oh, oh, that's a whole nother kettle of fish. What's the Strablox <laughs> situation and what do you wish that they had? I, I use Dunlop Strablox. I've never had any issues with them and they have the, I don't know how's the name exactly of the product, but... The you can use them as a normal strap button and also as a strap lock. So if you you don't want to put strap locks on your strap, you can just put it on, on the base and that's fine. But if you want to go the extra safety route and put a strap lock on your strap, you can do it as well. Mm. And they're super solid. And I've had I've had them on bases for many years and nothing has happened. It hasn't let you down yet. Yeah. No. I, so I've only had strap malfunctions when I've not had strap locks <laughs> and like this come flying off. Cause I like to, you know, move around quite a bit on stage. Um, but I always rely on my straps for my strap locks. So I've got one strap. I can't remember what the company is now. I've had it for so long that the, the brand name has been like rubbed off. <laughs> um, but it's got like a, almost like a bit of plastic in there and like a little, um, uh, it's, it's all spring loaded. So you pull it back, put the strap on then let go and it like locks it in place. Yeah. Um, and then I've also got a Dunlop one. That's like a little gear that you turn that closes it in and clicks in place so that it, you know, it's not going anywhere. Um, and yeah, that it's, it's a, it's a must have for me that I can't not have a strap lock. Otherwise that thing is coming flying off if I'm playing live. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all of our questions for this week. Ivan, this has been an awesome, awesome uh, episode. And uh, I hope you'll come back for another uh, very soon because I've had, you've been an amazing co-host um, and have taught me so much during this time and just been a, a genuine gentleman, pleasure and all of the above. So thank you so much once again for, uh, for coming on thanks for the invitation um, always so what have you got going on at the minute where can people find you uh where can people find me as ivan bassist or ivan bassist on all social media platforms so youtube instagram facebook whatever hit me up with your base nerd questions i'm always happy to answer and what i got going on the debut ep of my band is coming out somewhat soon uh we don't have a date yet but it's coming out definitely this year and coming months we're mixing the last tracks and it's gonna be pretty brutal yeah, <laughs> i'm man. really looking I, forward to that i was checking it out before um doing this to remind myself as well and like i was, I was watching like your bass playthrough uh or having a look at that on instagram and yeah if you liked what you heard from that tone and that sound sample yeah head on over to to Ashmakers and, and have a listen. Yeah. Um, I'll put all the links for all of this in the descriptions uh, so people can go and uh, check you out and, and all of your projects and, and whatnot. Um, like I said at the start, go and subscribe on YouTube because climbing that 10K ladder 
nearly there. So that's for both of our channels, you know, drop a subscribe on mine as well, please, please. Um, anyway, enough groveling. Once again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if anybody wants to submit questions to this podcast, head over, follow me on Instagram at Johnny Dibble, where you can submit your questions to me and then they can be featured on here. Let me know in the comments down below what feature you think should be standard across bases of the next few years. I'd love to hear people's suggestions on these because I'm sure there's things that I haven't thought about or we haven't spoken about on here. So yeah, leave a comment down below or drop me a DM with your answer. Once again, thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.